Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Talking to Change, a Motivational Divine podcast. My name is Glenn Hines, and I'm based in Derry, Northern Ireland. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Sebastian Kaplan, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hi, Seb. Hey, Glenn. How's it going? Going the very best. So in the last few episodes, we've been introducing the podcast after the recording of the podcast. And today we've been joined by Mats Hogmark, a general practitioner based in Sweden, before we get into talking about that episode, can maybe just introduce people to the, the social media platforms and uh, ways of contacting us? Absolutely. So on Twitter, our handle is at Change Talking. On Facebook, uh, you can find us on Talking to Change. And on Instagram, you can find us on Talking to Change podcast. Uh, and any direct communication with Glenn and I, uh, ideas about episodes, uh, feedback, just in general, uh, you can email us at podcast at glennhines.com. So like I said, we just spoken to Matt's and during it, what was fabulous was we had the opportunity to actually do a role play. So this episode is a bit longer than many other episodes we've worked on. Uh, so it's about an hour and a half, including the role play. But Seb, what's your takeaway from today? Well, Matt's is, uh, is somebody that we know and, and have gotten to know through our membership in the Network of Trainers organization. So it was great to have him on. You know, and we've had other physicians on, uh, in particular, Damara Gutnick in one of our earlier episodes talked about MI in healthcare. And we felt Matt's coming on would just add another another layer of, of expertise and, and a different perspective on it. So we hope people uh, enjoy these uh, these two examples. Matt's detailed a model of, of a healthcare encounter, really, or, or a primary care encounter that you could, you can see how MIs, how he easily weaves MI throughout it. He, he breaks down each encounter into a, a patient section, a doctor section, and then a, a mutual section that is sort of a shared experience. And you all will hear more about that. So I found that to be uh, quite interesting and helpful. And then really, uh, one of the wonderful things about having all the guests on and, and hearing is in particular with Matt's hearing him throughout the role play is just his own style and how he embodies and articulates some of these examples that or some of these concepts that while not especially complex still can remain quite conceptual, right? So the idea of supporting someone's autonomy or coming alongside or the MI spirit, like they might make sense to people, but oftentimes we hear feedback of what does this sound like? What are examples? How do people do this? And and Matt's really gave a number of wonderful examples of that. So those are a couple of takeaways for me. What about you, Glenn? Yeah, like you say, it's just the the, the way he communicates and, and, and to take into account that when, when you listen to Matt's talk today, it's recognizing that English is not his first language and just how eloquent and accomplished he is in, in describing these concepts to us. And it's also so significant, and we noticed this at the very beginning and throughout, that here's a medic, here's someone who practices in primary care, 
and who is particularly interested in communication in healthcare from the beginning of his career. It's a career-long interest for him, even to the point where at the end of the episode he starts talking about what's called relational competence. That is a, a model or an approach being explored now in Sweden with other medics about how to marry the the need to understand disease, the disease competence with the relational. How, how do you inter- interact with the patient in a way that increases the likelihood that they'll, that they'll do something about their health? And like you say, there are just so much of what Matt introduces, the concepts of the model, but also the ideas of motivation interviewing and the, the way of speaking to, to patients and how he models it throughout the role play with me as the patient. I, I take on the role of a 45-year-old man. And it's a great episode. Um, again, because it's the role plays in the middle of it, it, the episode itself is a bit longer than normal. And we really hope you enjoy it. Well, Matt, welcome to you. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'd love to, to start us off, as we usually do, just to hear a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and how you got into motivational interview. Well, thank you, Seb, and thanks, Glenn, uh, for for having me on the on the podcast. Uh, I'm an I'm a fan. I've been listening to all your episodes, some of them two or three or four times, actually. So I'm I'm really glad to be here. Uh, so a little bit about myself. I'm I'm um, I'm Swedish. I live in a city called Falun, um, about two and a half hours northwest of of Stockholm, and I'm I, I work as a physician in uh, primary healthcare. So I'm a general practitioner, family. Family doctor—that that is my special specialization. And in Sweden, that is a five-year residency program, just like any other uh, specialty. So, if you want to become a surgeon or a pediatrician or a gynecologist, psychiatrist, it's, it's all five years. And so, that's the same for general practice, which is my specialty. And um, I worked in a primary healthcare center, uh, quite a small place in the countryside, about twenty-five kilometers. Uh, outside of the city center where I live, and I've been I've been doing this work for uh, about what is it, seventeen years or so. I've been a doctor since two thousand and three. So it's it's um, that 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 is my profession and uh, also somehow my passion. <laughs> I'm I'm forty seven years old and uh, I have two daughters, uh, twelve and seventeen. Apart from from being a clinically active doctor, I'm I'm also very interested in uh, in motivational interviewing. Obviously, uh, and I've been I've been a member of of, of, of Mint, the, the motivational interview network of trainers since 2012, and I've been an MI trainer since 2007, I think. Uh, so a lot of of trainings, mainly for healthcare professionals, but also for for people in in different sex, sectors, social uh, security sectors, and um, and uh, most most uh, settings actually. And I also work a lot with uh, person centered communication and doctor patient communication skills. Uh, so I, I give specific courses in that for resident doctors here in in the region where I where I work. So a lot of uh, communication, both uh, clinically and uh, as a trainer. Yeah, that, 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 and it's wonderful to hear that, that, you know, that as a doctor, that, that, that the communication part of what you do is very important to you. And I imagine for a lot of people to hear that as a general practitioner, that you have been practicing motivation for this long. Uh, certainly that motivation has traditionally been linked with addictions and psychiatry. So I'm curious, Mats, 
what what was it about AMA that attracted you to move towards it and then to uh, learn so much about it and then develop your, your training? Yeah, I, I actually, when I was quite new I, as a resident doctor in, in family medicine, I think maybe it was my first or second year, I, I attended a, a one and a half hour seminar on, which I, it was titled Motivational Interviewing and Risky Drinking. Because at that time in 2006, there was um, a, a big um, uh, drive within the Swedish healthcare system for um, healthcare professionals to become better at talking with patients about risky alcohol consumption. Not necessarily addiction, but when you drink a little bit too much for what is actually healthy for you. So I attended one of these seminars and... I've always been very interested in um, in com- communication skills and things like that. Uh, both my parents are teachers, so maybe there's something in the in the background of of that. Um, and I- immediately when I attended this this seminar, I, I thought that wow, this is this is great stuff. <laughs> this is something for me, and I, I tried to digest what I could and I went back home to my healthcare center and I told my colleagues well I attended this seminar and if you want I can I can tell you for 10 minutes what what my take-home message was and and they said yeah sure and so I told them a little bit about how you could communicate better and how you could give information and give advice without um, trying to correct someone and all these things that we talk about in MI so that that's how it started actually and and I haven't I haven't looked back since and so I I can honestly say that I I am practicing MI to a certain extent in all of my consultations every day ever since 2006 sometimes more sometimes a little bit less but it's always there with me and and it's been incredibly useful for for me and I, I hope for my patients as well that's that's really interesting I I and we'll certainly talk some today about your day-to-day use of MI and how you find it helpful and applicable. I'd be quite curious though, to go back to that time where you had that first seminar and it, it seemed like it was an interesting time to be in training because there's this, this new emphasis seemed like a new emphasis in Sweden on communication. You yourself are in training and you hear this, this seminar about motivational interview and it gets you really excited. And, and I wonder what it was like for you as an MI learner at that point, because many of the members of our audience might also be in a similar stage of learning. Like what it was like for you to both resonate so much with it, but also still maybe um, you know, doing your training with people that weren't quite on board, I guess, with MI, or maybe more used to doing more traditional forms of lecturing and telling people what to do with their drinking or other health behavior. So what was that like? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's very easy to become, if, if you yourself feel very enthusiastic about something, it's, it's very easy to become a little bit too enthusiastic when you talk to others about it. So there's that writing reflex again. Uh, and, and, and surely I've been, I've been, perpetrator in in exerting my writing reflex over my colleagues i i have but i tried to resist it so basically in the beginning i didn't know a lot about mi i i but i was fortunate because of this because of this 
project that was a national project about risky drinking, there was quite a lot of MI trainings, both basic and advanced and, uh, and um, other types of trainings available for me and for others. So I was fortunate to come in uh, at the right time, basically. So I, I got to learn step, step by step. And I also had the uh, the great opportunity to be um, able to learn from from experienced um, people also how to to talk to others about MI, how to train MI. So there was like the, there was a, an early training of trainers uh, approach before Mint. So, um, but but in general, I would say my colleagues were quite enthusiastic about it as well, although there was some resistance as well because, um, well, some people might have been in this job for 20, 30 years and and they have a way of working that was uh, functional. It was working for them. It wasn't a bad way of, of communicating with patients. But I came with perhaps a slightly different way of communicating and that always, well, causes some some concerns for people. Well, should I be changing the way I work now? And then... But, a lot of people are quite open. Some people are not so open, but most of them are curious they, because they want to deliver the best type of healthcare practice to their patients. And they want to be able to communicate their practices in a good way. And, and if many people see that, well, here's something that I could actually make use of. Mm. So in general, it's been quite easy, I must say. Yeah, you show a lovely understanding of of why people behave the way the way they do, and in particular the way you describe your colleagues, that some of them were much more established in their practice, and mm-hmm. even just recognizing, you know, there's no ju- there was no judgment of the fact that they were doing it slightly differently or differently from you, an understanding of why they may be reticent to change, almost like a a way of being with people. And what I was curious about is, given the fact that you were so early in your journey to in medicine. I guess that there was you had already been introduced to some form of communication that MA invited you to consider doing differently. And I'm just wondering what did you notice that was different about MA that had that existed previously? I think the most different approach that I learned early on with MI was the um I mentioned the writing reflex already. I mean to actually not tell people you need to do this because it's the best thing for you. Uh, I've been doing that as well, but I learned early on that it's not the best approach. So so that's one of the things that I I adapted quite quite early. Um, Some of us in in the Mint community, we talk about sitting on our hands to to not not wave too much and then try to uh, shape people into the shape we want them to be, but rather sit on our hands and be... Be, be a bit calm about things and let people do their own thinking. And that is one thing that that was contrasting to how I had been taught uh, at medical school, uh, which, and, and I think that is one of the absolutely most useful things that I learned early on, uh, to be actually realized that it doesn't matter how much I wave with my hands and I want for people to change it. I cannot change them. They can change themselves. And I could perhaps be an assistant in their change process. And and so that's probably the most important thing. Mm. 
Yeah, the idea of an assistant is quite a contrast from what I imagine many people think of a healthcare provider, broadly speaking, physician, psychologist, social worker, whatever. You know, an assistant is not someone who's in charge. Uh, it is the person who is assisting the person who is in charge. And in, in the case of what we're talking about, obviously it's the patient. And, mm-hmm. um, and so this idea of sitting on your hands of not, uh, of, I think you described it as letting the patient discover and think for themselves with you as, as you said, in this sort of assistant role. Uh, so this was a, an early lesson for you, but also one that really resonated with you anyway. It seemed like you kind of brought that, with you yeah. somehow. Uh, may, may I, um, I, I was, at, that's a good summary, Seb. And I think what you used the word healthcare provider. And I think there is something in that expression that is, is uh, a bit um, flawed. Mm. You're supposed to provide something for, for your patient, which is, I mean, of course we have to do that as well. They come to me because they have a need uh, they have a, perhaps they lack some um, uh, knowledge that, that they want me to provide. But in general, if we go on thinking that we are healthcare providers, that we're going to give something to our patients that they cannot get anywhere else, I, I think we're, um, that, that is one of the things that lead us down the wrong path. Because I'd rather see us as we are actually, we have something to offer. And if you want to have it, then please go ahead and take it and we'll work with it together, you and I, as a doctor and a patient. So, so there is something in that word. It, right. It's not that we have some sort of magic that is only ours to give. And if only you're a, a good boy or a good girl, do what we tell you, we'll give it to you. Right. Yeah. Which, uh, we're, you know, of course we're being a bit, uh, a bit loose with our words here, but you know, that, that, and that, kind of um, spirit is behind a lot of healthcare and an expectation that the patients do what we say. Because if they don't, well, guess what? They get labels like resistant or non-compliant, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I, that's a, I've not heard anyone take the word provider and kind of shed, shed a different beam of light on it as, as, a, as something that we might want to think differently about. So that's a, a pretty cool invitation for us. So thank you for that. And I think for me, I, I didn't put these things into words at that time, but I, I sort of, with the Emma, the spirit of the motivational interviewing approach, I sort of understood these things, but I couldn't, I couldn't articulate them myself. But now I've learned, and I, I've also, I mean, this is some, this is something that we talk about. All the MI trainers, we constantly talk about how do we express these things in a, in a comprehensible way, and and uh, how to, so people can understand it. So there's this ongoing dialogue about how to have a dialogue with your patients, and I like that to keep the conversation going about the conversations we have. What I'm hearing you describing, uh, Matt, is that you've you've been thinking about what it is you're doing ever since you've been introduced to motivation interviewing and the the spirit of motivation interviewing in particular that uh, that where we try to level the ground between the individual who's seeking help and the individual who's here to offer the help, and even that what you what you said there to say just about the idea of the word provider, you know, I guess that for a lot of people that 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 will be quite challenging potentially in a very, very useful way because, again, it's it's just that 
how do we describe what it is we do and what are the words we're choosing and what expectations does that create of ourselves and what expectations does that create for the people we're here to help and how does that then impact on the balance and the, the dynamic and the relationship. And it sounds like you've been working really hard to try and clarify that for yourself and in, in who you are, being the assistant, being there to help, being almost like the, being the servant towards the, the the patient. That your goal is to be helpful, and it is a, and so you. It's almost like you lower yourself to help someone rise up, and um, and I guess a lot of lot of us will be curious. You know, you mentioned there about exploring the words. What what other ways have you been able to help assist yourself? You know, develop that spirit. And in in mind and heart and in practice. Uh, oh, there are so many things. But one of the things that I noticed quite early on, actually, um, I went on on uh, quite a long paternity leave uh, after about a year of residency, and and then when I came back, I noticed that I was doing something differently, and I it took me a couple of weeks before I realized that I. I wasn't taking notes with uh, when I spoke to my patients because I had usually I had a pen and paper in my hand to take notes about what they said. So I would make sure that I didn't miss anything. And all of a sudden, I realized I wasn't make, taking notes anymore. And I, but still, I remembered everything they said. So when I had sat down with, uh, at the computer to uh, to write the, the chart and everything, uh, the documentation after the consultation, I had no problems remembering and and that was a revelation and then I realized why is that well because I'm better at listening and one of the things that made me better at listening is the the fact that we use reflections I mean we use reflections so that the patient will hear again what they already said hopefully we will be reflect their change talk more than their sustained talk and and one of the reasons we do that is because we want them to hear the same thing again, because then it sort of lands better with them. And I realized that it, it does, it goes both ways, actually, because when I reflect what, what you say, Glenn, then I will remember your statements better. And then I make a summary of what you said, and then I will remember that even better. And then I can actually be more present in our conversation. And I don't have to look down on my piece of paper and make notes. So I, uh, so that was one very tangible thing that I noticed early on. And, uh, and it's been very helpful for me, actually. So as, a, as an American over here, we, heard, we hear the term paternity leave and we kind of scratch our heads. Or, you know, you mean you have, you have the weekend off after the baby's born? No. Um, so that's, that's wonderful to hear, especially a very long paternity leave as you described yeah. it. it. It just struck me like I imagine – as someone in paternity leave, you're spending a lot of time with a young child. And, and how, so how did that context, I'm sure you were doing other things too, but how did that context lead to this kind of uh, exposure or experience of, of reflections that then led to this change when you returned to work? Yeah, well, actually, I don't know if there is a direct correlation between nine months of paternity leave and becoming a better listener. Maybe, but maybe I was just becoming more mature as a as a person. But 
but I, my MI journey had started before that. And uh, maybe sort of things just sort of sunk in better. I don't know, but it was yeah. just a coincidence maybe in time. But that's one thing that I noticed. May, may I just add, uh, piggyback on what you said, Glenn, before you said about the, uh, being a servant. So taking a lower position in, in comparison to the patient. And I, I think I didn't, that, that is one thing that I think MI does so well, especially in, in healthcare where patients are often in a lower position compared to the healthcare provider, regardless of who that is, if, if it's a psychologist or a physiotherapist or a doctor, because they come with, with a symptom, with some kind of problem. Maybe they are very worried about something. And they are looking up to us, hoping that we have the answers and that we have a cure, perhaps. So that is, by by default definition, there there is an imbalance, a power imbalance. And I think what makes MI so important is that you actually try to, to diminish that power imbalance, even actually going to be a servant, to look up to the patient. And, and say that you're the expert on your life. You're the expert on what you've tried before and what you can think about doing. And I, I'm here to give you some alternatives, but you are the one to make that decision. And, and that is, to my experience, that is a very good thing for patients to feel that they're in charge, they're in control of, um, of their own um, health. And and I'm there to help them, to assist them, as we said before. And, and 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 this was up for discussion in one of your previous episodes when you had um, the psychologist uh, Bill Nito, I think, talking about taking the lower place. And I, I think that has some that's something that I've understood quite recently, and it's very very helpful. Yeah. That, that... There is quite a challenge to us because the invitation very often as professionals, inverted commas, is that, that we get our status and uh, from being the expert. Mm-hmm. And what it is you're describing is is that my, my, my status may not be of any benefit to this person in, in their journey of recovery or healing. And if I want to be helpful towards them, what if I was to make this transition in, in how I understand myself and understand, and very important then, take into account all that we know about human beings and why human beings are prepared to change in the company of other human beings. And mm-hmm. as the, as the, as the doctor, your instinct is to want to be helpful. And through this journey, you've realized there's, there's so much I can do less of to get so much more out of this encounter for this other person. And what struck me when you were describing what happened when you came back after paternity leave was just that idea of you being present. And the more that you reflectively listen, the more that you offer summaries, as a direct consequence of being present in the conversation was that you were there, you didn't have to write it down because you were part of the experience. This wasn't happening to someone else. This is happening with you. And that in itself was really powerful because, again, from from talking to others and, and our own experiences of, of MA practitioners or, or more particularly person-centered practitioners, is that, that that being with someone else in itself is a very powerful curative experience for them, that they have this connection. And I guess 
as 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 we think about our listeners and perhaps for people who who are new on this journey or again still uh, exploring it, what other ways what other ways have you used to you know, build up this expertise to feel comfortable and confident within yourself to go to look up and I, and I, and I think. I can't remember if it was one of the podcasts. I remember some, maybe Steve Ronick talking about that idea of looking up to someone and seeing what you can admire. And there's the opportunity for affirmations to arise. You know, yeah. So when you look up at this person who's struggling with this, you can pay attention to what's wrong with them, but you can also admire them. What can you admire? And I'm just wondering what other ways you have learned to, I suppose, embed embody and, and experience this this knowledge and this this wisdom of helping yeah that's a good very good summary Lynn, uh, that you just made and i th- i think if i'm if i may correct you i think it was alan zukov who right. said Lovely. looking up to someone right. uh, well it doesn't matter but one of the things that steve rolnick actually has said is uh, that i take with me is that mi is about coming up alongside your patient and and looking towards the future together. Uh, I think that's how it translates to English. Uh, to, uh, to actually, and that, that is one thing that I've, that I've um, learned is very use, very, very, very powerful to actually come up alongside with your client or your patient and, and, and asking them, so where do you want to go? And, and how do you want to get there? I can give you some guidance along the way. I can tell you what we can offer you here at the healthcare center, what types of um, treatments or support, but which one of those would you like to take? And once we decide that together, the patient decides first, and then I will support that. We can look to the future together and, and we'll walk there um, as companions, as partners. And, and to me, that is, I mean, it sounds perhaps... Um, I mean, very grand, but but it's 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 a fact. It's a, it's something that I really feel with with my clients and with my patients. And we often have the urge to help so much. We uh, it, it's we sometimes we cannot stop ourselves from wanting to help. And, and and in doing that, we just let that writing reflex out. And and I think we need to stop that. And and if we see our patients as the uh, the prime experts on their lives then it becomes more easy to um, to remember that i don't know if that answered your questions but yeah, yeah. i think you're um you're inviting us to be compassionate towards those those of us i.e all of us who uh who exhibit the writing reflex from time to time. Mm-hmm. And it comes from the part of us that wants to be helpful. And, and it, you know, so while, while it's something that we want to dampen down and lower and diminish or eliminate or whatever, but also it's helpful to recognize that, you know, we do want to be helpful. I mean, that's why we went into one of these professions probably in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Matt, I'm wondering about this, this sort of coming alongside idea and, and just thinking about the world of a busy general practitioner, right? I'm sure it's no different in Sweden than it is here in the States. You get a handful of minutes in and out, busy practice, nurses coming in and out and other people. And probably, I don't know that there's a profession with less time. All, all, all of our professions claim, to claim that we have not enough time, right? And I think yours is probably the one that can truly say, we really don't have that much time. And so how do you 
go about efficiently doing the process of coming alongside when you might have somebody coming in with multiple concerns and lab values and MRIs and all these sorts, all this information to distill. How do you do that without taking the reins and just getting the information that you need and telling the patient what to, what to do? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, and, and that is a challenge indeed. And, and just like you said, everyone is pressed for time. Uh, so, so we can all, we can all sign, sign to that. Uh, but one of the things that, that I use, and I know a lot of doctors use, is, is a particular model where we try, to, uh, we, we try to identify what is most important to the patient and and uh, what is it that they want me to help them with and and um, to get that very early on in the in the consultation uh, in mi we talk about the four processes the, the first one being engaging with the patient making connection building rapport uh, creating that relationship that working relationship and the second one being focusing to actually identify what is it that's the most important thing for you to talk about. And maybe I, as a doctor, also have something that I feel is important to talk about. So engaging and focusing are the two first processes. And so, and, and in this model that I'm using, maybe this is a good time to, to talk about it. Uh, we engage and we focus more or less in parallel those are the things that happen immediately when we when we meet the patient, and it is a very good way of getting down to uh, business, so to speak, immediately, and make sure that you talk about the right thing in the right time, and that you leave everything else out, because sometimes the patient might have five or six different complaints that they would like to talk about, but you'll realize that I'm not going to have time for that. And you can then maybe narrow it down to one or two things that are really on top of their priority list and and make an agreement that, so this is what we're going to talk about. Is that all right with you? So, so, so I do that. And and once you've established that, that um, agenda and you've established the relationship, the, the connection with the patient, then it's quite easy to do it in a, quite a limited time frame. So I, I guess that I am now experiencing what people listening to this will be is I'm intrigued to know yes. how that might sound. And if it's okay, can I maybe volunteer to be someone coming into your practice to witness what it might sound like to hear, engage and focus running simultaneously? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a good idea to make some kind of uh, illustration of, of this model. May I just first briefly talk about the model? Sure. And I think maybe we can analyze it again after the mm. interaction between the two of us. Just to make it very, uh, very basic is we divide the consultation and the consultation might be 10 minutes, might be 15 or even 30 minutes if, if that's what you have. Whatever the time you have, you divide the consultation into three parts. The first one being the patient's part. The second one being the doctor's part or the healthcare professional, regardless of your profession. But for me, it's the doctor's part. The third part being the, the mutual part where you um, work together. And, and so the first part, patient, 
part is where the patient is the expert. And then the doctor's part, well, I'm the expert. And then in the mutual part, we're two experts working together, collaborating on making a plan and finding mutual ground. So, so that, is the, that is the model. So the most important thing is that in the patient's part, I as a doctor, I'm not the lead character. The patient is the lead character. He, he or she is the one who's there to shine and to act out everything. And my job is to find what the patient is really there for. So three main things. It's the IDs, concerns, and expectations. ICE. So the ideas are what do you think about the symptoms that you're presenting with? Someone who has this pain in their knee, I will ask them, so do you have any idea what caused this pain for you? And maybe the patient will say, well, I think I probably, f- I fell a couple of weeks ago and I hit my knee on the ground or I played basketball and I sort of twisted my knee. Maybe something's broken. And then I ask about your concerns. Is there anything that worries you now with your hurting knee? And the patient might say, well, I'm worried that I won't be able to make it to play basketball, the basketball game on on Saturday. I'm worried that I might miss the game. (laughs) Or someone might worry that I'm worried that um, that some kind of a ligament has been torn and that I will never be able to run again. Or if someone will say, well, I'm worried, maybe could it be cancer in my knee? I mean, I, I've heard about that. So it's just for me to find out. And then I will ask, what are your expectations? What do you hope for me to make with this uh, consultation with you? And some, the patient might say, well, I just want you to examine my knee really thoroughly and say if you think something's broken or not. And maybe the patient will say, I want you to make an (laughs) x-ray. Or someone will say, well, I just, in case I won't be able to play that basketball game, I need you to write some kind of a letter that I can show to my coach so they don't know, they know that I'm actually hurt for real. So IDs, concerns, and expectations, that's what I'm to find out in the patient's part. No asking doctor questions. I can do that in the doctor's part. Then I can ask about, so what happened? Did you take any pain medications, et cetera, et cetera. I can examine my patients and all, and all those things. So, and then in the mutual part, we will find a, we'll come up with a diagnosis together and we'll work out a plan for how to proceed and all that. So in brief. Yeah. And, and yeah. What, what was lovely about that is as you described that I can, I can see how the engaging and focus run parallel in that first part of exploring where the client or the patient is the expert and you're simply paying attention, being curious about them, what's their ideas, what their concerns, what their expectations are. So it's all over there. And so the, 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 they are the lead partner in, in this dance. And yeah. if, if it is okay, can we, can we, enact this then and if I if I come into you as a uh, I'll, I'll make myself a wee bit younger than I am I'll make myself about 45 <laughs> right. that's good right so I'm, I'm just commanding anything right so if, if I if I said um, thanks doc, doctor you know I just I've been having headaches I've been having headaches for four or five weeks and I wasn't going to do anything about it but Lisa said I miss you so I'm going to just 
Oh, well, that sounds that sounds hard. Headaches for for such a long time. That must be uh, quite tough for you, Glenn. Yeah, it's it's and you know what it is. Um, it's helping. It's, it's it's making it it's, tough. it's getting more and more difficult for me to sleep. And mm-hmm. I think that that then is, is it's now starting to make me a wee bit ratty and agey with, with uh-huh. the kids as well. And you know, I'm and I don't know. What, I'm not sure what it. Is. No, no. So so this this headache is really. It's really affecting your your life and and your professional your private life with your kids. You're not you're not being the the same old good good happy Glenn that you are that you usually are, and this this concerns you. Yeah, yeah. And and you're not sure what to make of it. I'm I'm actually to be honest, I'm, I'm part of me thinking is this a is this a brain tumor? You know, oh. you know, and and it frightens me to say that. To be honest, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I I would I, I'd rather discover that it hurt my neck than yeah. but it's it's just been so long and stayed. It's it's that it's there most of the time now, and I'm can get mm-hmm. you know. I'm, so so one of the most troubling um, worries that you have is that this if if this was a brain tumor that that's one thing that's been on your mind. That sounds um, hard to imagine such a such a difficult um, yeah, diagnosis. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I, the kids are young, and I'm mm. I'm relatively young, you know. But I'm, no, it really frightens you. Yeah, it, it, it does, and 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 I guess that it, that's why it's uh, taken. Uh, it's been a big deal enough coming in here, to be honest. Because mm. I, I don't want you to tell me that's what it is. No, and I think it's it's great that you're here. I mean. It, I, I can hear that you have been worrying about your symptoms. You don't; these are new things for you. And and one of the worst case scenarios would be a, a tumor. And I, it is great that you're here, so we can so we can talk about it and, and see what we come up with. Mm. Is, is there anything else that I mean? Obviously, a tumor sounds sounds frightening enough. But is there anything else that you've been worrying about, or do you have any other? I mean, more um, less bad ideas about what, what I, this I, could I, be. See, when I started, I, I just thought it would work. I just, we've, we've had a couple of big deadlines uh, recently mm. at work and, you know, been staying up a bit longer and I just put it down to, you know, just a bit of stress. And yeah. so that's that's what I prefer it to be. To be honest. Mm. The work life has been quite stressful and, and that could be one of the reasons for your headache. That, that's how you're thinking. Yeah, it's the same reason. It's, it's the fact that it's going on for this long is what 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 the main concern is. And and my my dad had a a stroke when he oh. was fifty two. Yeah. So yeah, of course. So that's one thing that's been on your mind as well. It could could this be uh, some kind of a stroke? Any other uh, ideas that you've had? Maybe I mean some people come here. They've been looking at Google or they talk to friends and colleagues. Or did maybe you found out something? There. Do you know what? I, 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 I didn't really want to look. The only person I've really talked to is my wife. Like she's been trying to reassure me that everything's okay. But she, mm-hmm. she too, it was accident. Like I said, it was her. She said, "Go and go and see Matt because mm-hmm. this is going on too long." And yeah. you know, I, I, she's been mis- like when I thought it was stress, I got massages, and that sort of helped a bit. Mm-hmm. But it, it just stayed, and you know, I've been yeah. Taking okay. Panadol and ibuprofen, like it's going to fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. I mean, it's, it's good that you tell me. I mean, massages has been helping you a little bit, but not not enough. So that's that's some information that we can 
think about as well. Um, what what is it? I mean, what are your expectations or hopes for this uh, meeting today? Is there anything in particular that you would like me to help you with or do with you? Yeah, I, I guess what I'm, what I want I want you to do is whatever is necessary to say. Look, this is a minor issue, and you know, mm -hmm. and here's the thing. So I don't know. Just, Whatever it is you need to do, is it a check or a full body checkup or give me a yeah. scan or something? Just to, I, I really don't know, doctor, what it is, but I, I, I just want some reassurance. Yeah. Okay. So, so of course, I will examine you and and see what comes up, and and if that's enough, then you'll happy. But your office also thinking maybe a, a brain scan would be, would be something needed. That's one of the things you've been talking about yeah. with your wife yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. So if, if I may summarize so far what, what you've said and make sure that I got you right. So you've been experiencing headaches for, for five weeks and, and that is something new for you. It's, you're not used to this. You have been thinking about perhaps it could be because of stress at work. Uh, you've been a bit tense in your muscles and when your wife has given you a massage, it has felt a little bit better, but, but not good enough. Uh, it's been affecting your sleep and it's been affecting your mood. Uh, you're not the, the the person that you want to be. And one of the things that you've been worrying about is um, whether this could be a brain tumor. And, and also your father had a stroke when he was just slightly older than you are. And, and that is one thing that concerns you as well. And and you hope that I will be able to um, to give you some reassurance by just examining you or if it's needed, also make a brain scan. Yeah. Did I get it right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like us to talk about if given that we have the time? No, that's 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 really the thing. You know, I'm putting the the, the, the sleeplessness down to this rather than yeah. anything else. You know, it's it's almost like everything feels like it's all wrapped up together. Mm. Okay. Fine. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to uh, ask you a more some more fact-finding questions, and I'm going to examine you, of course, and then we will see what what we come up with if we need to make take any blood tests or make any other examinations. So I will I will do that now. Um, so one of the things that I just to, to to continue asking you some things is: Are you healthy otherwise in terms of medications or? Uh, Anything like that? Any, yeah. any other yeah. ailments? No, not, yeah, nothing. No, I've, I've, no, I don't think, I, I can't remember the last time I've been to see a doctor. No, okay, well, that's good. It was a kid the last time I saw a doctor. Okay, so, yeah, well, that sounds fantastic. Uh, um, tell me a little bit about those headaches. Uh, you've had them for four or five weeks. Mm. Uh, are they more prevalent in, in the mornings or in the afternoons or in the evenings? Uh, what is that like? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. It's, it's probably more, I probably become more aware of them late morning for the rest of the day. It's, it's you know what, I haven't thought of that until you just, when I wake yeah. up in the morning, they're probably not there. Okay. So they they they, they come in the late morning and they, they sort of grow on you during the day, maybe mm, mm. more towards the evening. Yeah. Okay. Have you been experiencing any uh, like strange symptoms, uh, neuro neurological symptoms uh, in your hands or arms or in your face or anything like that? Like some problems some, with your. I, 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 it, it, sometimes it feels like it affects my vision. You wow. know, it's um, it's not so much a blurring, but 
ticket whether it makes me it's it's me squinting because it, it, it's it's it, like the pain very often is at the front of my head now sometimes it's across my whole head but it comes to shooting pain at the front and I'm sort of okay you know yeah yeah all right so so some some problems with your eyes but not nothing in in particular uh, apart from that yeah. Okay, and and no uh, nausea or vomiting or anything like that. Problems I've, with your I've balance. Never, I've never actually, I've never actually gone and thrown up. But it, it, you know, it, when it's, I, I probably I'm not, I'm probably not eating as much as I would have, particularly mm-hmm. around tea time. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not eating as big a dinner. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, some of the things that might um, you were talking about stress uh, at work, and, and so you, you, you mentioned that mm. it's been quite a stressful uh, time for you. And some of the things that might sometimes affect uh, headaches as well could be uh, life lifestyle um, things like um, physical activity, exercise. Um, what does that look like for you? Um. I used to I used to play a lot of soccer, but not not so much anymore. And I had, mm. um, I don't know, maybe but actually you just asked me and it's made me think that you know the reason why I stopped playing so much hurt my back, just um, actually my spine, but it it hasn't been hurting me at all. So I don't know if it's connected yeah. to that as well. But no, okay, yeah. So you used to be quite active, but nowadays you maybe not so much. No, if I understand you correctly, yeah, I'm not, I'm not busy at work. Uh, other other things that might affect um, your health in general would be um, use of tobacco or alcohol. How, would it, how does that look like for you? I used to smoke. Um, I used to be a twenty a day person, but not, not, not since the kids were born. Um, wow. You know, I, I would drink at social dues and things like that, but we, mm. but we wouldn't. Neither of us at home would be drinking that. Mm. Mm. Okay, well that's good. So, so you're an ex-smoker. I, I must congratulate you on being able to uh, to quit. A lot of people find that to be very difficult, but you managed. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, yeah, it took me yeah. a couple of times, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, did you check your blood pressure? Because sometimes that can also affect your um, headaches. No, I, I wouldn't know how to dog. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to examine you and. Uh, see what what we find mm. and let's make a brief pause there in okay. this interaction and i just tell you what i found i right. i make an examination and i make a full neurological examination nothing in particular it looks just fine there are no uh, no particular findings at all and uh, i will listen to your heart i'll listen to your lungs nothing there i'll me- i'll measure your blood pressure and it's a bit high mm. It's a bit elevated, which in my head makes me think, well, maybe this could be a contributing factor. I also uh, feel around your temples and your shoulders, and I can sense that you have a very tense, your muscles are very tense, and they hurt when I when I mm. sort of massage you, it hurts on you. And I also have a, a look at, I check your eye vision, uh, and, and nothing in particular there. It looks fine. So, so that is that is what what I find. Mm. And shall we go move on? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So now we're in, we're in the mutual part. Uh, okay, Glenn. Uh, so you came to me with your headache, four or five weeks of headache, and you're particularly worried that it might be something bad, like 
Could it be a stroke? Could it be a brain tumor from even? You were thinking as well, maybe it's about stress at work uh, and, and my tense muscles. Your wife had given you a massage and that, that had been helpful. I have been examining you. I've been listening to your story. And I, first of all, the way you describe your, your um, headache, it does not sound like a brain tumor at all to me. And when I examine you, I find nothing that uh, gives me that suspicion either. I, I would say this is, this is not a headache of any grave um, importance. Mm. This it does not come from a stroke. You've, you are not uh, having a brain tumor. Oh, I can tell that's, from... That's immediately... Yeah, I would just like to sort of reassure you that, about your main concerns. One of your ideas was perhaps this could be due to stress and to tension. And I would actually say that I think you're onto something here uh, because your muscles are very tense and they're quite um, tender when I, when I examine you. And, and also one of the things I find is your blood pressure is a bit high and, and that can contribute as well. So those are the two things that I would say affects your headaches mostly. And what do you, what do you think of, of that? Well, that's first thing is that I'm just if you're saying that there's this these headaches are not symptoms for my me dying early, that's a great that's it's <laughs> at the same time it's you know um, I, I just want something to happen to get because it really is yeah. starting to interfere with my sense of self and well being. Mm -hmm. No, this is really affecting you, and but it, it feels good for you to hear that mm. we're not looking at anything. Um, um, dangerous here. Yeah. So what my suggestion would be, I we do not need to make a brain scan. I feel confident looking at at your body and examining you and hearing your story that we don't need to make a brain scan. But what I do suggest is we do something about this, this tension of yours and I think we need to look into your elevated blood pressure as well to see if, if maybe this is just a coincidence. Now you're a bit stressed here but we need to check that blood pressure again. So what I suggest is that you come back here in uh, next week and, and we measure, measure your blood pressure again to see if, if it's better then. And if it's not, we might consider actually doing something about that. Physical exercise, like you said, uh, you're not being so uh, active right now. That could contribute to a lower blood pressure, which might um, make it better for you with your headaches. Mm. So that is one thing. And the other thing is, I think you need to see a physiotherapist who can help you with um, some exercises that you can use for um, your shoulders and for your neck and, and um, to make sure that you sort of find a better balance in, in your body. So do you think that will help me do, me doing more physical things, like even swimming or doing some activity or... Yeah, so you're open to uh, to becoming more physically active. I can hear. Well, if it takes this head away, I'll, 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 I'm, I'm prepared to do anything, doctor. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Good. So, uh, absolutely. And and whatever you do, I think. I mean, if you want to go swimming, you want to go to the gym, or you're going to go running, or start playing soccer again, I think many of these things will be good for you. Mm. However, I think one of the first things that would be most helpful for you would to see a physiotherapist who can give you some guidance on how to train best and things that you need to work more on, some things that perhaps you need to avoid. Mm. 
how does that sound to you? Would that be uh, something you can consider doing? Absolutely. It, I guess, it, I suppose, it's, how quickly can I see this physio? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something quick. Yeah. Actually, we can. I can make an appointment for you in a couple of days with our physiotherapist for a first assessment. And then the two of you will have to work out together what would be best for you to do and what, what you should not do because there might be some things that you should avoid as well. So if you want, I can make an appointment in a couple of days for you. Yeah, that would be really good. And, and, and can, I, can I get some tablets? Because my hair... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can give you some, some tablets that might help you as well. Some muscle relaxants that can help you be a little bit more relaxed and, and make it easier for you to, to transition into mm. physical activity, physiotherapy. So for you, it's a, you, you, you think it is more my muscles that, that's causing this than anything else? Yes, yes, yes. Right. And as I said, we also need to pay attention to that blood pressure. Maybe it's just a coincidence today, but mm. we'll, 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 we'll follow up. And, and what I suggest is that you come here uh, next week, mm. take a new blood pressure, and uh, then when I see the results of that, I will give you a phone call and we can talk about that. If it's fine, then it's fine. But if it's elevated, we might talk about what to do next. And then I can also follow up and hear what happened with you and the medications and the physiotherapy. Yeah. Thank do you, you have any? Do you have any questions or no, I, anything you know, it's, else? It's just that it's just the idea that you know that that you know that maybe it's it's a sitting down hunched over the desk and mm. but it's it's strange to think, but it makes I suppose it makes some sense that mm. that it, it's going all the way up into my head and. Um, and maybe straighten myself up or straighten myself yeah. out. <laughs> and I can, yeah, and I can tell you, Glenn, that that the problems you're experiencing are very common. It, getting a headache from muscle tension is very, very common, and uh, almost everyone with proper physiotherapy will become symptom free. So I, I, I think that will happen for you as well. Well, that, that's great news, Doctor. It's um, yeah. No. So when you come back home to your wife and she asks what we did today, what will you tell her? Like just to make sure that I got that we got each other right. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell her that um, that she's not getting a new house when I die because I'm not going to die in the, in the near future. But uh, no, um, that's right. But yeah, it's, it's 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 just that it's that it's not as serious as we we had, at, at the worst case scenario that it, that it is that you know that it been tense and just a bit relaxing a bit more and that you've that you've that you've offered me an opportunity to see a physio who's going to offer me advice on and what type of exercise to do that will help and with the tension and and that that the blood you'll check my blood pressure and check it again uh so that that i I have to come back and just you're going to keep an eye on things excellent I think I think we understood each other well, Glenn, and uh, I look forward to talking to you in uh, about a week again to follow up and see what has happened. Yeah, thank you, Doctor. That was really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. All right. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you both for uh, for doing that. We've we've done these role plays uh, a couple of these before, and it's it's nice to debrief them a bit. So uh, maybe Glenn, we could start with you as the patient role. What was that like for you? It, what was what was so nice about that was just how gentle you were, Mats. It was just you know just a space, and you know that when I when I 
when I started talking about the brain tumor, you just create a space for that. And and, and it was almost like as I heard myself talk about it, I began to hear myself saying it's not that, you know, and, and at some level I as the patient knew, you know what, it's probably not that. But you, you gave me the space to to go to that extreme and for you to be very tolerant of that um, was really helpful. And um, I didn't feel under any, under pressure to go one way or the other with anything. Um, and I could hear myself being able to talk about the, the fears and even just the fact that it was at the doctors at all mm. was a big thing. And, you know, you were lighthearted. There was a couple of times you laughed and that was, you know, it just normalized the conversation for me. And that before, before I think, we were, I don't know how long we were talking, maybe 10 minutes before you started to become a doctor mm. in the traditional terms, which was started to get into the, you're right, what's going on? What are you doing? How's that going? And, you know, and then you didn't put hands on me until after that again. Yeah, that uh, I was taking some notes as you guys were doing that. And, um, yeah, when you brought up the concern about the brain tumor, Glenn, yeah, I imagine, and again, in a very well-intentioned way, a doctor might just start going after that with questions that would help clarify and maybe answer that question without the brain scan. And Matt, you, you didn't respond really to the content there. It was a response to what that must be like for Glenn to worry about that. It was, it was sort of irrelevant in that moment, whether or not he actually has a, had a brain tumor, he was fearful that he did. And that was what's most important. And just a reflection or two in that moment, as you said, Glenn, it just created some space and some sort of freedom to kind of express that. Yeah, it, that's a good observation, Seb. And I think that is what we, we talked about before, the writing reflex and the one the will to fix people immediately. It would be very easy to to jump on that brain tumor bit and, and say, well, well, no, 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 you don't have a brain tumor. Definitely not. Or ask about these things. Do you have morning headaches, which might be a symptom? Or do you have, do you vomit? And, and, and do you have any neurological symptoms? To just immediately go there. But rather, like I did here, it's just to, to reflect on the uh, feelings, the emotions that, that Glenn is expressing. I mean, he he says that, well, I, I have kids. And uh, I mean, he doesn't say it, but you can, he says it under the words. You can say, what's going to happen if I die? What's going to happen with my kids? Mm. And I mean, just let him be in those thoughts because he's had these thoughts before coming to see me. He and his wife have been sort of talking around this issue and he's before he told his wife about this, this has been on his mind for quite some time. Worst case scenarios. And he's been probably, maybe he's been imagining his own funeral and, and all these things. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And, and what does that sound like to me? Well, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? I mean, going, being 45 years old and starting thinking about your own funeral. So rather than jumping in that, just reflecting on it, say, well, well, that sounds that sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. Really frightening. I think you captured it lovely there, that idea that, you know, being in those thoughts mm-hmm. with him, with me, yes. that, that you came alongside of me and, and, and in that, when you were reflecting my experience of that, that's when the space 
but it was a shared space that you were it, it was you were there with me it wasn't that you were telling me not to think like this that mm. that and 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 then hearing your rationale behind that was yeah. recognizing this guy's thought about this before he's come here yes and what was that like uh-huh. and where where and might his imagination have gone yeah because that's the whole point of of thinking about these things with the patient's part because the patient's part is what the patient has already been thinking about for quite some time before coming to see me. Mm. And if I don't find those things out, the ideas, the concerns, the expectations, if I don't find them out and uh, somehow address them at the end of the consultation, then the patient will carry those things with him Mm. also away from this consultation. And they will continue to circle around in your head and you won't feel satisfied. You will still be thinking, do I have a brain tumor? Because you did get the chance to talk about your fears. And what will happen then? You're probably going to come, come back again. <laughs> and or look for a different time, doctor. Or look for a different doctor. Or you will go to the emergency room sometime, and which is not the place for you to be. The, mm. the place for you to be is at your GP's office like, you, like you're now. And, and another thing, if, if I were to jump on the brain tumor, I would miss your maybe not so strong, but still fear of this being a stroke. Mm. So if I were to answer that this is not a brain tumor and, and send you off, then maybe you would still be thinking, well, but could it be a stroke? I never got the chance to talk about my fear of this mm. being a stroke. Mm. So this is why we need to sort of try to ex- as, as best as possible exhaust the ideas, yeah. concerns, and expectations. It, 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 I think part of what you're exploring there is that the, the, the likelihood is is at some level most uh, I, I'm going to leave and I'm not going to have a stroke and I'm not going to have a, a brain tumor. Mm. Yeah. But my emotional well-being has been impacted because I'm still worrying until the yeah. headaches go away. And what you're doing is support me with that internal experience of of what is this and am I okay knowing that I'm being looked after? And you took that into account when you created that space. Yeah, and it could be it could be that you are particularly perfectly content with the the visit and feel that well, I'm I don't have a brain tumor, I don't have a stroke, but if you didn't really get to talk about it. When you come home, perhaps your your partner, your wife will say, well, how can you be sure that it's not a brain tumor? Did you talk about it? Uh, no, we didn't. We didn't address it. So then maybe she will say, well, you should go come back. You should go back again. Mm. So for me, this is also a, a, a difficult thing. For me as a doctor, I need to consider that there is someone who's not in the room who might also have ideas, concerns, and expectations. So this is, um, it's, this is not easy. <laughs> yeah. It, it's making me think of the idea of, of the encounter itself being therapeutic within the conversation, as opposed to the, all the other things being what's therapeutic, which hopefully they will be also the physiotherapy, the tablets, the exercise and all that. But the, the opportunity exists for there to be some therapeutic movement, not in the context of formal therapy with a therapist. Mm. You know, you're a physician, you're doing physician's work, and you are being therapeutic mm. by attending to his his emotional concerns, and also not for a whole hour. I mean, that was a, a, a you know maybe two to three minutes of the whole encounter where you were responding to his his concerns about the brain tumor, and that 
without that, or by doing that, it really enhanced the rest of the the conversation and everything that would come after that. And and it, it makes it easier for me to focus on the right things um, and and to let go of other things. I mean, it could be that that Glenn wanted said that well, I want you to write um, a letter to my uh, employer saying that I need to be on sick leave for two weeks to to really relax. He didn't want that, so. So I didn't need to talk about that. I didn't need to ask him, do you need a sick leave note? Because it wasn't up for discussion. So sometimes we as doctors, we presume that the patient wants certain things, but maybe they don't. Mm. And it's good for us to find out in the beginning what they want and what they're not so interested in. So then we don't need to talk about the other stuff. It can actually save us some time. Yeah. Yeah, you were really quite uh, persistent in making sure you asked what else are you looking for until Glenn said, nope, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you, you just went to, to that point. A couple other observations, just subtle things that I think are examples of how you might level the playing field or engage or all these other things that we talk about. Um, one of the things, well, actually, in you, as you were describing, before the role play, you were describing the mutual part of the encounter and you described it as a process of coming up with a diagnosis together. And that really stood out to me. I mean, that's, that's the doctor's job. You know, yep. that's one of those things that the doctor has the answers for and gets to unveil, you know, after, after, the, after they kind of draw out all the stuff from the patient. But the idea of having it be something you do together is really quite, um, I mean, I, I would go as far as to call it quite radical. Uh, in some in some respects, and then even fast forwarding towards uh, to the to the actual mutual part in the role play, you know, because you had drawn out from Glenn his ideas about what might be going on after your exam, you went back to his idea and you said, you know, you're really onto something, right? And it was just a subtle, quick comment, but again, it's it's an example of how we can, in practical terms level the playing field, two experts in the room, and you as a doctor are saying, actually, you're the one who's onto something. And in, along with the sort of repeated offerings of, you know, here's an idea that I have, what do you think of that? That sort of elicit, provide elicit sequence that we talk about so much. Uh, and if I could just do one more thing, which kind of made me chuckle a little bit, this is more so earlier in the role play, you, you actually asked Glenn in a very genuine way if he had been looking on Google for information. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, how often are, are, are the, the, the providers kind of rolling their eyes or saying, oh, yeah, you're on the Internet. And here you ask it in a way that's, that there's no judgment behind it. Mm. And I would imagine if Glenn said that he was, you would be curious about what he found. And it wouldn't be a source of contention or like, oh, you, you have to listen to me, not Google. Anyway, so a, 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 lot, a number of uh, wonderful uh, nuggets there, maps throughout. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, and the, the, the Google part is actually something that I often say to my patients because I know that pay, people Google stuff. And if they don't Google, they will have asked a friend or a colleague or someone in the village next to them who had similar symptoms. And if I don't try to find out what they know already or what they think they know already, I won't be able to address those things. So, and and the, I think this is, I mean, looking at the spirit of MI with the ex- acceptance, 
part. I mean, some patients actually feel a bit ashamed uh, for admitting that they have been Googling because the general perception is that you should never Google your symptoms. But we know that many people do. So I might as well sort of take the cap off that. Mm. And I'll just say, so some people, they Google their symptoms. And uh, well, that's good because then they might know some stuff. Did you do that? And mm. if so, what did you find? Yeah. Mm. So it's it's a way of express expressing um, acceptance. So thanks for noticing. <laughs> Yeah, and I can imagine, again, just recognizing that the, the, the potential concern is that if I tell you I've been Googled, I'm Googling, I'm going to get told off. And the way you, the way you approach it is, you know, what have you discovered and what has that taught you? And, and again, it's back to that recognizing this person was probably trying to help themselves before they came to me. And this instance, I've, I've had a headache for five weeks and it's taken me this long to come and see you. And what you're saying is you're taking into account, well, what has he tried before he's asked me for help? And one of the opportunities is to ask Google. And again, it's that space. It's that space to go, well, of course you did. And Hmm. let's just see what you find out because maybe there's something in it. And by acknowledging that that might be a good thing, Hmm. because I think in general, a well-informed patient, I don't see that that would be a bad thing. Yeah. I don't feel threatened as a doctor when my patient knows things. Uh, uh, it can be challenging indeed. Sometimes patients actually know more about rare diseases than I do because they've been Googling and they've been studying. So I, sometimes I just tell them, well, well, that's great. You really know a lot of things. And, uh, and what, I, what I aim to do with that is also empower the patient. If we talk about two experts working together, then if I would take any chance I can to to, to um, support that. I mean, we talk about supporting the patient's autonomy in in MI, and I think empowering a person by saying that, well, you know a lot of things about this. You are a resourceful person who knows how to find information about this and also do something with it i think that is a way of supporting autonomy that is very useful when you come to the mutual part when you sort of try to come up with a plan together because like you said sebastian the typical approach is that the doctor comes with a top-down approach saying that i have this plan for you and i suggest you do as i said because it's going to be the best for you but here it's not like that it's not a top-down approach it's a sort of down to up, bottom up approach that we've talked about before. And I want to um, empower the patient because the patient is the one who's going to do these things later on. It's not me. I'm not the one who's going to go see the physiotherapist and hopefully follow the recommendations that you, that you get. It's actually the patient that's going to do that. So, and, and that is also in line with the spirit of MI. So to me, it's this, this is not MI, but it's also, it's in line with the spirit. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I tried to sort of, at the mutual part, this is where I think this, the, the MI in, in practice more comes to show that, I mean, I, I try to, I offer some advice and I ask you, what do you think of it? Would that be something that could work for you? And, and, and now you, Glenn, as a patient, you were quite easy. You didn't have a lot of resistance to my suggestions. 
So, so I could just encourage that. But it could also be that you said, well, I don't know, physiotherapy is, I don't know if I have the time for that. So then I would perhaps sort of switch on my MI gear a little bit uh, higher and then try to, to work with you and try to find your change talk for actually going to that physiotherapist. Mm. So it, again, it's that working with whatever's in front of you without yeah. adding to it. You mentioned earlier on that you, you didn't, you didn't offer me a, a sick line because I didn't raise it. Um, yeah. And you, you're not making assumptions about me. You're clarifying mm. with me all of the time and you're clarifying with, with me what it is I think. And then when you share your ideas and thoughts and, and diagnoses, you're then exploring with me, what do you think about what I'm saying? Uh, and and a lots and lots of affirmations. Even just that idea of you know what what struck me again about the Google was that you, the, that idea of oh, right, that was that was really tr- that, that when you described somebody searching uh, Google, you you know you, so you've been looking into this. So this is something that that you're keen to find out more about. And there's there's that affirmation lifting not just the autonomy but the the, the sense of efficacy potentially for this person as well to engage in whatever comes next. They've already been engaged in their own treatment and you can now say, let's take this energy and place it over here where you're going to see a physio. Mm. Yeah. And and um, one of the, another good thing about this um, approach, I think, is, I mean, with the spirit of MI as a foundation and the, again, going back to the Steve Rolnick quote of coming alongside with, with your patient and looking to the future together is in a week from now, when you and I have that phone conversation to, as a follow-up, if you are then still worried about brain tumor or something, that, that's, that's a way, that's another opportunity for us to talk about it. But if you're fine with the decisions we've made and the conclusions we've come to, uh, perhaps that blood pressure of yours will still be high. And then we might enter into um, a discussion about, so what could be the causes for your blood pressure? Could it be uh, because your father also had a blood pressure or could it be because of lack of physical activity or could it be, I mean, you were not smoking. You said that you managed to quit before, which I try to affirm as well. Mm. Uh, Could it be that you're actually drinking a little bit too much Mm. You didn't say that you were, but sometimes people don't like mm. to admit to that. Mm. But now we have made a good connection and we've yeah. established a relationship where maybe if that were the case, you would feel more comfortable saying, well, maybe it's been a bit more alcohol than before because I've been feeling so stressed at work. And then we could have the conversation about how how alcohol could affect your blood pressure and et cetera. And we could have an, have an MI conversation about that. Mm. Well, Matt, now that I'm in a much better position, I'm feeling much more physically, emotionally, and psychologically reassured that um, <laughs> that I'm going to survive at least for the next couple of years. Um, if I can come back into my role as the co-host with, with Seb and today's guest, and w- it feels like it's a good place to maybe to begin to explore with you two, two questions that we ask our guests. The first is, What's going on for you at the minute that may or may not be motivation interviewing related that is capturing your attention that we could talk to you about for a few months? Yeah, thanks for, for that question. That's in, in my personal life, one of the things that I have been very interested in, which is, I mean, it's related to MI, it's the concept of, of compassion and 
and self-compassion. Uh, and I've been particularly influenced by our friend and colleague Stan Steindl in, in uh, Australia, of course, who's written a book about this. So, so that is one thing that I'm trying to work more on, understanding the parts of, of what compassion is and what it mean, means for the different three flows of compassion and particularly also thinking about being compassionate towards myself. Uh, sometimes just to pat myself on the back and say, well, you did all right. You tried your best and it was okay. So I think we all need that actually and to be compassionate towards others and towards ourselves. So that's one thing. Um, and, and in terms of uh, more professional uh, work, um, I am at the moment I'm involved in a working group within there's a, an organization for Swedish family doctors uh, and I've been for the past couple of months involved in a working group uh, who uh, that is trying to look at something that we call relational competence. Uh, it's it's a, the, the competence of building a relationship uh, with your patient. And, and then there are many things involved in that competence. It's not just being able to listen, not just not just communication skills, but also um, uh, know a, bit, a little bit of self-awareness. Like, who am I as a doctor? Who am I as a person? And how do I react and respond to my patients? That is one thing. And also um, experience. I mean, all the patients that I've met throughout the years, they build an experience that I bring with me into my meetings with new patients. Uh, and also looking at um, responsibility. How, how do I how do I e e demonstrate taking responsibility in terms of being a doctor and in terms of uh, also letting go of responsibility? That sometimes the patient has their responsibility. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the things I'm working with: relational competence, as opposed to the other competence, which is the disease competence uh, which is easy to understand we as doctors need to have competencies and, and knowledge about the disease how to diagnose how to treat how to um, well all these things but we also need the relational competence in order to to actually understand what is this what type of disease are we even looking for <laughs> what do these symptoms mean what do they mean for me what do they mean for the patient and, and the things that we just role-played actually so, so this is uh, an exciting uh, scene that we're looking into. Uh, I mean, it's, it's nothing new, but it's, we're trying to sort of put words into what this relational competence is and how we can work more with it as physicians in primary healthcare. And I would say also physicians in any setting. This is nothing that is uh, exclusive to a general practitioner. This should be mm. something for everyone. Yeah. So those are some of the things. Yeah. Really interesting to hear you talk about relational competence and uh, disease competence and uh, how they can sometimes might feel like they're competing for your attention or for a physician's attention. I, I work at a medical school here in the States and, and this idea of like, when is it the right time to begin to teach maybe more relational skills um, in, in medical school as opposed to the traditional kind of front-loading them with information about diagnostics and 
physiology and anatomy and these sorts of things. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's probably an impossible question to have one right answer to, but just the idea that this is a, a tension that you're trying to sort out well into your career and, and really focusing on the relational parts here. Also the, the, the piece about compassion and, and our friend Stan, um, you know, our listeners might be interested in knowing a bit more about Stan. He was actually our very first guest on the podcast uh, way back when, uh, Glenn, if you can remember that. And uh, he has his own podcast, which we can uh, make a put a link on in our episodes page. And Matt, you were a recent guest of his. So if mm-hmm. anyone wants to hear you and Stan discuss compassion in the world of, of a general practitioner, that, that'd be a great resource for people. Yeah. And um, so Matt's, uh, if our uh, listeners had any questions for you or we just wanted to reach out and contact you, would you be open to that? And if so, how could they contact you? Absolutely. Uh, I would be happy to, to um, communicate with people about, about these things if, if they want to reach me. And, uh, I'm, I'm very active on Twitter, uh, although 99% of my tweets are in Swedish, but anyone could, could reach out to me on uh, at Mats Hogmark. My, my, my name at Matt Sogmark uh, and send me a direct message on Twitter. I will uh, see that within minutes, probably. <laughs> and I'm also on LinkedIn. You can just find my name. If people want to email me, uh, it's mats at hogmark.com. So those would be the three main contact uh, routes. Fantastic. And just to remind people, if, if you're looking to stay in touch with us, myself and Seb, um, our Twitter handle is at Jane's Talking. Our Facebook is Talking to Jane's. Our Instagram is Talking to Jane's Podcast. And um, for questions uh, uh, for future guests or uh, feedback on existing guests, including Matt's, uh, or information about training, you can email us at podcast at glenhines.com. Well, Matt, we really, really appreciate this. This is wonderful uh, to your time and wisdom and, and even your, your uh, doctorly expertise as you're taking Thank care you. of Glenn's headaches. So uh, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank Thanks, you. Matt. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you uh, next time. Thanks, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.